Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 574 of the Juicebox Podcast. Ariana is on the show today. She is the mother of a young girl who has type 1 diabetes, and Ariana has some struggles of her own. Today, we're going to talk about all of that on the Juicebox Podcast. While we're having that discussion, I'd like it if you could remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox Podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes or is the caregiver of someone with type 1, please go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox and fill out the brief survey that you will find there. That's it. You'll help people with type 1 diabetes and you'll support the show. t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Looking for community around type 1 diabetes? Look no farther than the Juicebox Podcast group on Facebook. Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. Over 17,000 people talking every day about type 1. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. The podcast is also sponsored. I just paused so long there. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Let me do it again. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. Head over to contournext.com forward slash juice box to learn more about the most accurate and easy to use blood glucose meter that I've ever held. There. See, I got it. No problem. Uh, there are links in the ship. Boy, I'm a, I'm a mess this morning here. There are links in the show notes of your podcast player and links at juiceboxpodcast.com to these and all of the sponsors. Please click the links. All right, here comes Ariana. And you're talking at the same time. All right, so you're, <laughs> hold on. You're being recorded now, so you know, okay? It's weird. Okay. It's Oh, it's weird just not hearing just my voice. Yeah, I've oh. seen pictures of you and heard your voice, but not together. At the same time. I have to admit, I don't normally look at people while I'm doing this, but I enjoy watching you smile. So, oh. yeah, like you seem happy at the moment. And yeah. I've, I've deluded myself into believing that's because you and I are meeting and you're happy. Yes. Oh, is that true? Yes. Oh, if my wife ever hears this, I'm leaving this part in. Okay. So um, <laughs> go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Ariana and I'm Dora's mom. She is almost eight and was diagnosed a little less than two years ago. Okay. So she was diagnosed when she was six. Um, and I am now under a lot of pressure to remember as much about Dora the Explorer as I can so I can make silly jokes throughout the hour. We'll see what I can come <laughs> up with. At the moment, all I have is Swiper and the map. So um, <laughs> we'll see where I go from there. Um, okay. She was diagnosed two years ago when she was six. Yes. Okay. Do you have type one? I do not. No. Do you have uh, anything? Celiac? Thyroid? Nope. Anything? Allergies. <laughs> I have allergies sometimes, too. Um, <laughs> how about in your family line? Your mom, grandmother, 
father? No. Um, in our family, there's type two and gestational and very, very distant, like great, 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 great aunt had Hmm. type one. Yeah, that's a, that's family line. All right. And I can't, did Dora have a dad? She has a dad. No, not your Dora. The one from the cartoon. (laughs) I don't know. See, that's what I've been thinking for the last 30 seconds. I'm like, I know she, I know Dora the Explorer had a mom. All right. Well, I mean, everybody gets a mom, but I mean, I guess everybody gets a dad too. Hold on a second. Dora the Explorer. This is so stupid. Father. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. She does have a father. His name is Cole Marquez. Uh, he's the father of Dora, um, and Isabella, and the husband of Mammy. He and his wife appeared in several episodes of Dora the Explorer. I, I hope he gets residuals. Okay. <laughs> I don't think he does. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't believe that. Okay, Dora has a father. Uh, how about your father? How about your Dora's father? We all together? Yeah. Nice. He's- Watching he's, them right now. He's inside. <laughs> All right, cool. So we have a nice little family unit going on. Are there any other kids? Yes, a three-year-old. You're a three-year-old too. Well, wow. okay, cool. All right. So, why did you want to be on the podcast? I wanted to talk about the struggles of the caretaker with their own mental health and how it impacts the management of the child's diabetes. Okay. Uh, Is this something you're just wildly concerned about for other people or something you're going through? Something I've been going through. Mm -hmm. Let's start at the beginning then, which is the best place to start. Um, When Dora's diagnosed, can you kind of describe how it made you feel? Uh, a sense of relief. Oh, okay. Well, there was an answer I didn't expect. So she had been sick, <laughs> I'm guessing, and you didn't know what was going on? She had been having night terrors for about two years. And I'm pretty sure that that was her first symptom. Wow. Could they have Along been? Good, I'm sorry. Tantrums during out, throughout the day because of the lack of sleep. Right. And, you know, then it progressed and about mm, nine months before diagnosis, I took her to the pediatrician about her excessive water drinking and she brushed it off as allergies. Okay. Then we moved states. (laughs) To get away from that doctor or for other reasons? (sighs) For other reasons. Um. And when we moved, we unknowingly traveled 16 hours in a car with a type 1 diabetic. (laughs) Um, And we had to wait about six weeks to see her pediatrician here. And she was very concerned. She was shocked that the pediatrician before brushed it off Mm -hmm. and came up with a game plan. And we found out two hours later, four hours later, that her blood sugar was 
1070. Jesus. That's an insane number. And that was the beginning. Well, let me go back for a little bit and ask a question then. So dealing with night terrors for a long time with a young child, I mean, even if that's the only thing that ever happened, that seems like a lot. That's not something. It was yeah. Like when you're like 18, 20, 25, and you're like, yeah, one day I might get married and have a kid. Like you never think it'll wake up in the middle of the night screaming like someone's trying to murder it. So um, she was not there. She wasn't. She just seemed gone. Yeah. All right. Okay. And so do you, huh? Do you, are you supposed to wake them up? Like what's the process? Night terrors are similar to like night walking or sleepwalking Mm -hmm. where you don't really want to wake them up because they're not awake. So basically we tried everything not to get too deep into that, still processing all of that in therapy, but it was tough because some of the time I was pregnant and then had a newborn and my husband was working nights. So it was not a fun situation. It okay. definitely played a factor in my mental health. Okay. So that, so let me, let me ask you prior to this, did you have any issues with your mental health prior to that? Um, yes, but nothing to where I needed to seek help. Okay. So what I can, felt. okay. You felt okay. Can you give me like a brief, like high level overview of how you felt prior to that? Like what are some of the things you were struggling with? Um, some of it's personal, yeah, don't tell but me. some of it was very lost down. I was not present in my body. Um, for context, my diagnosis is PTSD with depressive mood and anxiety. Okay. So some PTSD from a personal experience when Isidore was really, when Dora was really little. Right. Um, that got suppressed a little bit. And then as the night terrors continued... It exacerbated everything, okay. <laughs> to say the least. All right. So I'm very interested, but I think us having our video on is messing up our signal. Can you shut yours off for a okay. second? I'm sorry. Yeah. But let's see if that uh, if that helps a little bit. So, okay. So you had uh, something going on we're not going to dig into. And it was, uh, you know, it was there and you were managing. And then you have a new baby, only a few years old, and she's having night terrors. And then that sort of just pushes you a little farther, I guess. Yes. Okay. And then it, it, it pushed you much farther. Yes. Do you have context for why? Meaning, was it the concern for her? Was it the adrenaline from someone screaming in the middle of the night? Like, was it the wonder of it's, when is this going to happen? Like, what about it? Do you know? Um, I'm sure lack of sleep played a huge factor because mm. in the at the end, so in the last six months of her night terrors before diagnosis, um, it was guaranteed she would have at least one that would last at least 30 minutes in the middle of the night. But then they continued and Sometimes it was two or three times in the middle of the night. Mind you, 
I had a newborn. <laughs> oh, wow. So it kind of mimicked the um, unpredictable scheduling. Like some people will talk about low blood sugars, like you get a low blood sugar overnight, you fix it, you think, oh, this is it. And then 20 minutes later, it's low again. And like, the, and so there was never the idea that A, you were safe to go to sleep or B, that even if you fix the problem, that it was going to stay fixed. There was no fixing and I had no one to help. She just lived through it. Yeah. Oh, so it's a process. So it's a problem. Additionally, that there's no fix for it. So there's just while this is happening, you just hold her, or what do you do? Are they violent during them? I don't remember much of her night tears, other than they were horrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, to have to not see your child in your child. Oh, I see. Is uh, an experience. I see what you're saying. So she's like a zombie, and there's no connection to the the kind of vessel you see in front of you and the person you know. Yes. Yeah. And her lack of sleep affected her daytime mood. Yeah. Well, so it was a never-ending cycle. And then are you saying that she goes on insulin and night terrors stop, and that's that? Pretty much. Huh. Did a doctor offer you any explanation for that? Um, the one of the diabetes educators in the hospital said she probably was type one for a while because of how high her A1C was, mm-hmm. and that it's not uncommon if you're sleeping and have high blood sugars to have wacky dreams or have nightmares. Okay. Hmm. So in my belief and knowing my child, I'm a hundred percent positive that the night tears were a result of high blood sugars. And they have stopped. Um, I think we had five after diagnosis. Okay. And that was in the first two months after diagnosed. So in the last 18 months, you haven't seen one? No. Oh, wow. Well, then let's hope that that was that. Um, yeah. But that's crazy, isn't it? Jeez. Yes. Um, so you you move, luckily, and get to a, a doctor that understands that, you know, extreme thirst in small children's not to be ignored. Um, you get your diagnosis. Did when the night terrors stopped, did you go, huh? Like, is that the first time you saw the connection between that and diabetes? Like, I, I imagine she wasn't diagnosed with diabetes and you were just like, well, Dora has diabetes. I imagine these night terrors are going to stop now that we give her insulin. Like, I bet you, you were surprised when they stopped. Um, sorry, I'm thinking. No, don't be sorry. Dramatic pauses are great. People aren't sure if you're crying. <laughs> They're like, oh, I wonder if she's upset. Do you think he made her upset with his stupid questions? That's the thinking. People are driving. No, not upset. No, no, no. Um, I think I was more surprised at the light that returned in her eyes that had been missing when she had been on insulin for 12 hours. Yeah, it's quick. And then I knew, like, she had a massive night terror in the hospital that kind of scared some of the teaching doctors um 
had x-ray her foot i won't go into details um but i knew she had returned when that, that insulin hits her and you just sort of see the life come back and the person you know in her face and everything is there all of a sudden yeah took yeah. a while mm-hmm. you know but i saw signs that she was back yeah. and i knew and i knew in that moment that things were were better there was a answer to the night terrors there was an answer to the mood there was i was gonna get my child back does that relief lessen your burden um i mean it creates a new burden (laughs) of caretaking well yeah no well that's what i'm saying that's what i was getting to is that you you went from like (laughs) these night terrors and this worry and and the the struggle of dealing with them and the endlessness of it to, well, the night terror stopped, but we switched it for diabetes. And it, I was wondering if at least that felt, well, I guess then it wouldn't have felt manageable in the beginning. It never feels manageable. Um, you know, I, some of the parents on your podcast, I've heard them be devastated mm-hmm. after diagnosis. I did not have that. I had, like I said, a sense of relief. I had hope that was gone for a while. And while managing diabetes is not fun or easy, it, it was healing in a way. And it was a relief. And... It, I knew that my daughter was okay. Okay. I think having answers is an incredible relief. And even if the answer is, you know, you have to use insulin now and there's parts of your pancreas that aren't working so great, et cetera, at least it's an answer because the, the not knowing to me is maybe just as bad as the knowing, you know, like at least when yeah. you know, you can do something. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I believe in that. Um, Okay. So what was management like in the beginning? I mean, what, what did they teach in the hospital and what was it like when you got home? Oh, (laughs) um, you know, pretty much the standard of don't die rules for sure. Um, I was actually lucky that one of the actually, one of the diabetes educators in the hospital was type one and the other had children that were type one so they were living in it mm-hmm. um and i didn't get the 15 15 rule i got the 10 grams of carbs for 15 minutes rule so not as bad i couldn't imagine if we did 15 but she at least had the hey dora's kind of small we don't need 15 would probably be too many carbs for her but other than that, you know, checking in, um, oh, 270 for right now. She's a month into diagnosis. Th- that's fine. We're okay with that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. How much did she weigh when she was diagnosed about? Like 48, 49 pounds. Yeah. Did she put any weight on afterwards? <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. Well, because she it seems like she had it for a while. Yes. Um 
yeah, she's she's uh, solid now. Cool. Well, that's great. Hey, li- listen, I have a weird question that you might not know how yeah. to answer. If she didn't have night terrors, was there other indicators about her behavior that would have led you to believe something was wrong? Yes. And when I realized that it was really wrong, we were in the process of moving. Mm -hmm. So, and I obviously didn't trust her pediatrician. So what was I going to do? Yes. Her obsession with water was so bad. It was traumatizing. Um, Her obsession with food, like she ate as much as a 300 pound football player would eat. Um, How long she didn't necessarily. I'm sorry, that, that voracious eating. Was that at the end before diagnosis or had that been going on for a while? It increased over time. And I, I just thought it was a growth spurt yeah. for a while. And then it continued. I mean, three full breakfasts. And then a snack and then two lunches and snacks mm-hmm. and like three servings of dinner is ridiculous. Yeah. There's a physiological reason for that. Arden at the very end was like, could barely move. She was just, um, she was a husk of a person. Uh, but still, <laughs> if you put food in her, she ate like, she ate like a little kid you find in the woods in a science fiction movie. You, you know what I mean? Like they're oh. like, she's been gone oh, for yeah. three months and here they put food in front of her. She just sits there and just like th- pushes it towards her face. Arden was eating like that at the end. And I, and with I your, thought she was going to explode. Yeah. With your, and not passing bowel movements or yes. Oh yeah. Fine. Oh, totally. That, that was fine. But the thing, the thing that changed like with her body, she didn't really lose weight. Because she was eating all the time. She was full of food. Mm-hmm. But she got incredibly skinny, but had like a pregnant belly. Interesting. At the uh the the handful of days before Arden's diagnosis, she was still in a diaper and her bowel movements were hard. They were crushable. Like you uh. could you could pinch them and they would break apart like like a dirt ball that had baked in the sun. It Weird. was yeah, she could barely get them out. Um, just really, I don't know. I enjoying, I'm oddly enjoying talking through this with you, uh, because I, I'm assuming it's in the last two years now that, you know, more dawned on you that she was really on the edge of death. Your daughter. Yeah. She, um, yeah, there was some, some real stuff going on that was extended, but you know, healthcare providers that actually listen to you big deal um is incredibly important and i'm so thankful for her pediatrician and yeah. the fact that we moved and thank goodness nothing happened i mean feeding a diet unknown diabetic pancakes and syrup while in the car like it could have been d- disastrous yeah you were close you really were and i wonder how long it was like that but i mean and she was the craziest thing is she was only mild dka yeah well, it's interesting if if her body was kicking back in once in a while and fixing that blood sugar and then driving it way up again. And then, you know, you could see why her why her system was all messed up and where those night terrors oh, came from and everything. Okay. Totally look back and have answers and go, oh yeah, she was eating because she was starving to death. Yeah. Um, 
but and just the energy was so low um like you don't go to a brand new park and then just sit on the grass so there were things that were for sure going uh going on but we stood hard in front of the ocean and she did not appear to know it was there (laughs) i remember that i remember putting her down on the beach and she didn't have any reaction to that at all she just scary stood, stood perfectly still yeah um yeah, it's interesting in hindsight right where you can go back and figure out afterwards you know like after like your uh you know your your spouse of 20 years cheats on you you start going oh nobody gets froyo every night at seven o'clock i should have figured that out you know like there's there's the <laughs> things that look super obvious afterwards that during their during it you just don't see you know totally yeah. and we were living with my mom before we left willingly everybody thinks it's odd and i don't um and she's a a retired nurse from the er and she was like there's something off but like i don't really know like Mm. it was clear as day in our eyes but like she wasn't necessarily like dying so was i really gonna take her to the er like i didn't with a newborn, I was highly confused. And then we moved in three weeks. So then it threw everything off. Are so you, are you younger too? I'm almost 32. So you just look really young. All right, never mind. Yes, I do. Yeah. Like, yeah, like if you told me, like, if you told me you had her when you were 12, I'd be like, yeah, I believe that. Because you, <laughs> you you look very young. So um I get oh, that all the time. Yeah, I just wanted to be certain because it, it that could be. A contributing factor. If you were a really young mother, it it's easy to not be as thoughtful about stuff like that, you know? I was very in tune with her. It's just you have a doctor that doesn't listen, and then you don't trust that doctor. And then what do you do? Like I don't what was I supposed to like I really don't know what I was supposed to do other than Nobody wanted to take our insurance at the time. Okay. And I had a newborn. Like I didn't yeah. we were planning on moving. Like at a certain point, it's just kind of like, well, we'll get a doctor when we get there. <laughs> like, so you needed somebody in that moment to step forward and say, Hey, I see there's a real problem here. We are not coming to a resolution. I'm gonna help you figure out what this is, not put it on you to do the exact right thing with the exact right person that I think that happens with a lot of healthcare. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't think it's I don't even know that it's anybody's fault, but it's just that if you don't if you don't ask the right questions and have the right things occur to you and how are you really in control of that, then you don't even know the right questions to ask to spark an idea in a doctor's head. And, you know, I, I've just learned over the years that there have been as many issues resolved in my family medically from us figuring it out yeah maybe even more so than from a doctor figuring it out oh yeah yeah so it and honestly it, it was a lack of her pediatrician um because so we had one appointment i can't remember if it was november or december before diagnosis where she goes it's just allergies come back in a month came back in a month. It wasn't getting any better. I stopped counting how much water she was drinking at a hundred ounces. And that wasn't even the whole day. Yeah. So, well, here's the truth. 
but, but hold on one second. My, my, you know, it's it'll seem a little disconnected. But my my son was given a steroid pack for something, and he was uh-huh. told like in a week this will be better. Well, three days later, it was worse, not better. And I drug his ass right back to the doctor's office. I was like, this isn't working. Yeah. And I think most people would have just waited the four days. I just, I don't, I've just been through this one too many times. Do you know what I mean? There's yeah. once, once common I, sense, but you don't, but I'm, I'm not judging you either for not doing that. I'm just saying that it's, it's uncommon for somebody to do what I did and more common yeah. for someone to do what you did. And the only reason why I waited was because, oh, and she had said, give her Claritin. I stopped after two weeks. I was like, this isn't allergies. I'm not giving her Claritin just to give her Claritin. I have allergies. I've lived with them my whole life. I know what allergies are. It's not allergies. An excessive thirst. An excessive thirst got you told Claritin for a four-year-old, five-year-old? Yes. Wow. Was it really a doctor? Did you meet this person at a strip mall by any chance? Um, no, she was her doctor from birth. Oh, geez. Well, yeah. ho- hopefully oh, it's really your I kid. Had issues. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I had issues with this doctor. I took right. her, for example, I took her when she was little for a diaper rash that I was 100% certain that was thrush on a Friday. She said, it's not a thrush. Fine. Then I went home. We spent the weekend. It continued to get worse. If you let diaper rash thrush get worse, it starts to bleed. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that next Monday, I took her back to the same doctor. And she was like, oh, yeah, it's thrush. She figured it out. I told you that. Don't get sick on Fridays. That's a bad idea. You you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there were already issues. Just, Im- just so, imagine at three o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday, I come to you with a big problem. You'd be like, oh, I'm so close to the weekend. Are you sure you can't just wait three days? for this? <laughs> And the same terrible. thing ha- happened with um, my second daughter. She told me it wasn't. Thr- I was like, it's thrush. Please just give it. It's thrush. Yeah. Stop. That's interesting. So we already had issues with her, but there was the type of insurance we had. We are lower income. Mm-hmm. Nobody was taking new patients with our insurance so there was pretty much nowhere to go so i just said fine it's allergies i know it's not allergies but whatever we'll try it waited two weeks claritin did nothing so i stopped and i decided to monitor and her water intake and stopped counting because i got to 100 and was done hey when and took her back I want to ask you a question. When you said we couldn't get anybody to take our insurance, we're lower income, is the inference that when you don't have a fancy insurance policy to throw around or money to pay co-pays or, or you know, a doctor cash if you have to, if you can't get help, then you're, I'm asking, I don't know, like, do you get less qualified doctors? Yes. So you get like the ones that couldn't get a job where they do take insurance and they can charge you more money, et cetera. I mean, they're definitely, they have too many patients um, and you're kind of stuck because the amount of paperwork that they have to do is more than they want to do and more than they get paid to do. 
I do feel bad for them. Don't get me wrong. They have a lot to do. And pediatricians have child's lives in their hands. um, And they have to also deal with the parents too. So I, I do have an understanding, but it, it wasn't just them. It was also me too. Mm. You shouldn't have to go to the ER and see a doctor six times before getting a referral to an OB for an ovarian cyst. So it's not just that. Yeah. It's no, I, I, and it's also the area we were in. Right. Overpopulated makes a difference too. Yeah. Where I, where we're at now, oh, we have absolutely amazing doctors and the same type of insurance. And I I wouldn't change it for the world. Okay. That's interesting because that's what I was trying to figure out. And I'm not I'm not generally saying that, you know, it's not like the chef at John George doesn't work at McDonald's. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, you know, you, you start getting people with fewer job opportunities um, and then you get and then you put them into it. It's not a, it's not a condemnation of the person. It's more of the system. And just a, am trying to look at it the way it works, not for sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, there's just a way the mechanism works. So, yeah, you know, if you're it's in that scenario, it, yeah, it's it's an unfortunate scenario. It really is. So, uh, but now having gone through all of that, you're also still you and you still have the issues that you're dealing with. So are you seeking out like therapy, mental health, like through this entire thing? Gvoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes, ages 2 and above. Not only is Gvoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk. Just going to remind you here again, t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Take the survey if you're a U.S. resident. I just saw it again online the other day. Someone put up a photo of their meter and their Dexcom. They said, why does this Dexcom not work? Look at my meter. says this and the Dexcom says that. Well, they're holding up a brand new Dexcom, right? That's the latest and greatest technology that they have. And they're holding up a meter that looks like it's 35 years old and has been hit by four different cars. And for some reason, they think the meter must be right. Well, I get that idea. And meters are amazing and everyone should have one. But you can't use a junky one and then expect it to give you good results. Instead, you should find an accurate meter, something that is cutting edge, like the Contour Next One. The Contour Next One blood glucose meter has second chance test strips, which means if you touch the blood and don't get enough, that's no big deal. You just go back and get the rest. Not to say that it needs a lot of blood. It doesn't. But I'm just saying, you know, sometimes you mess up and you don't want to have to waste the test strip or have to wonder if the test result is inaccurate because you've put on some blood and then come back and put on more second chance test strips. The Contour Next One is also easy to hold, and it's easy to transport in your purse or your pocket or wherever you keep your diabetes gear. It has an incredibly bright light for dark times. You know, not like dark times like, woe is me, I can't get out of this funk, but when the lights are off and there's no sun, dark times. I guess I should have said at night. It's too late now. 
And it has an amazing app, if you want to use it, that'll sync to your Android or iPhone. Now, if you want more data, right, to track, it has that. But if you don't want to use the app, it doesn't matter. You can just use the meter by itself, and it's wonderful. It is literally the easiest to hold, most accurate meter that I've ever used with my daughter. Contournext.com forward slash juicebox. On top of all that, it's a really comprehensive website. Website? Did I say website the first time? It's a really comprehensive website that will explain everything you need to know, and you can even see other meters that they have there. In fact, there's a test strip savings program uh, you could look into. Some people are eligible to get the meter for free, and the meter doesn't really cost very much. Actually, it could cost you less in cash than you're paying for your current meter through your insurance. Isn't that crazy? You might be paying more through your insurance to feed test strips into your old janky meter that doesn't work than it would cost you just to reach in your pocket to buy the Contour Next one. That's amazing. I mean, I'm not sure if that's going to be the situation for you, but you should go find out. Contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting the show. Yes. So, um, on top of the night terrors and having two kids, I noticed I needed some help. I was not feeling, I was not there. Mm -hmm. So, um, where we were living before I sought help and I saw her for maybe mm, six months, maybe a little more. And then we moved. Um, and I thought I was okay here until I wasn't. And then my doctor um, was like, I think you should see a therapist. <laughs> and I said, I'm pretty sure you're right. Hmm. Um, so I, I sought out a therapist, which is a feat in, in itself. And I found one that I absolutely love who actually gave me a diagnosis. I hadn't had a diagnosis prior hmm. or that I knew of. And I've been seeing her for about six months and things are so much better. Good. Hey, this is going to maybe just be a hundred percent wrong, but have you ever been tested for hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's? Um, I had my thyroid tested because my cycle decided to disappear. And it came back normal. What, but came back in range or do you know what the number was? Um, I could probably look through my stuff, but it came back in range. Sorry about that. Um, the reason I ask is because the range for thyroid, and this might not be your case, but, but lack of energy depression, uh, hair loss, uh, menstruation changes, all kinds of different things are controlled by your thyroid. And you'll get this test and they'll say, oh, it's in range. But there are like ninja level thyroid doctors that will treat your thyroid level if your your TSH is over two. 
And there are plenty of people who will come back at four or five and they'll be like, oh, you're in range. You're fine. But a tiny bit of th- a thyroid hormone ends up changing a, a lot of that stuff for people. So I've known people who and spoken to people who thought they were depressed, who really needed thyroid medication, who, you know, thought they had all other kinds of issues that needed thyroid medication. So, like, when you go look at that test, if that TSH is over two, it's worth going to a doctor that will treat your symptoms, not just the number. Does that make sense? Yeah. I I also had... um whatever the testing is for autoimmune diseases Mm -hmm. because of allergies um, and because Dora has an autoimmune disease and it came back negative. So So, um, they auto um, the, the, um, the antibody testing, they did that during the thyroid. Well, separate, but yes, um, everything, everything came back normal okay yeah i could i could be a million percent wrong i just get real sad when i know that people miss that and it's such a simple thing um oh totally there's there is some thyroid issue in my family history somewhere i don't know exactly where but i've been told by my mother that there is yeah i would want to know what your test said it came yeah things came back in range and you know while there's always the possibility of, you know, something like that, I can tell you therapy has oh. completely changed my life. Yeah, I'm I'm not disregarding any of the things that you figured out about <laughs> your mental health at all. I was just saying, like, for everybody listening on top of you, like, you have to yeah, understand that when I'm doing this with you, I'm also trying to think of what the people listening are thinking about, too. So of course. I'm doing a little of both. I'm talking to everybody and just you at the same time. I trick them. Uh, by talking to you. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> but I'm talking yes. to the rest of you. Unless you're hearing my voice in your head when you don't have your earphones on. And then in that case, that's not real. And you should seek that. <laughs> um, and for all of you ladies that are talking lately about I'm popping up in your dreams, it's weird, but keep telling me. It's also entertaining. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, okay. So you're you're getting better. And at the same time, you're figuring things out for your daughter. Um But to go back to what your email said about how the diabetes impacted your mental health, um, is there anything you want people to know? Is there something you wish you had known? What did you figure Um, out? And then I want to ask you some stuff about type one. I think I figured out that it's okay to let go a little bit. Because... It's okay to let them be a kid. It's okay to focus on yourself. It's okay to not have perfect graphs. It's okay to continue to put in the effort and all that it takes to learn and manage type one with a growing child. Mm -hmm. But it's also okay to take a step back and realize You don't have to get it all right on the first day. Well, even over time, I worked really, really, really hard in the beginning. I studied her graphs. I had it down. And then we got the pump. T-Slim. Very nice. (laughs) And 
things changed. It's a totally different world. And realizing, okay, you have to go back to basics. You you have to almost relearn diabetes. It's okay if extend bolus does not work for your child. And it's okay to let go of striving for a number in the fives, an A1C in the five, Mm -hmm. which is incredibly wonderful, but not at your own detriment. If it's hurting your mental health, and doing more damage for you than good, it's okay to step back. I'm not saying sitting with an A1C in the tens is okay, but it's okay to let go of the graph studying. It's okay to put your oxygen mask on first and realizing that they're getting insulin that they probably weren't getting before. And that is absolutely better than nothing. And it's okay to step aside and focus on you so that you can be in the best spot possible to teach them how to manage their own diabetes. Okay. I, so there's a tipping point and if it gets too far one way then you're no help at all yeah right yeah and so you're trying to keep a balance of your sanity and general health about type one yes i gotcha in it's easy for the overwhelming nature of learning about type one to consume you and then you kind of get lost Yeah. And if you're somebody that has, you know, anxiety and some of my anxiety has to do with her numbers, I've had to stop looking at her graph as often because it was, it was taking over. It's, it's okay to, you know, I went from having her alarm at 120 to putting at 150 for my own sanity and that's okay because we're still catching it early Mm -hmm. and readjusting my goals for her because she's healthy she's growing she's learning she's smart all of these things she doesn't have to be perfect i don't have to get her diabetes perfect if it takes you know five minutes of showing her because she's younger how to read the nutrition label on something and judge how much she's eating and how much insulin she's going to need along with having her do the math herself so teaching her those things and maybe not getting insulin in her five minutes sooner just to do it that's okay because she's learning something out of it can it I ask, doesn't have to be. I'm sorry, I cut you, you know. off. But it was there, okay. was there a beyond your own motherly instincts and your desire to do well for Dora? It was there anything that made you feel like everything had to be perfect? Like why did everything? Do you, do you have a not why? Like tell me why because you're wrong and you should know. But do you can you imagine what the influences were 
that made that feel like the most important thing in the world? Uh, yes. Cause when she has high blood sugar for too long, um, I can see the child pre-diagnosis. Okay. Uh, the mood changes, the, I was worried about night terrors. I was worried about the tantrums that happened. I was worried about, she fights with her sister more when her blood sugar is higher. Mm -hmm. So I was concerned about keeping my child that I got back. So where, how long did it take you to figure out that you couldn't do that? Um, a little over a year. Okay. And where's her A1C at now, for example? I have no idea. We haven't had it. The last time we had it, it was a 5.7. And I felt it, which was great and wonderful. And I cried. And I remember hearing your voice in my head saying, this is what it feels like to, you know, be like hey keep doing what you're doing like see you next time <laughs> yeah like it's just gonna stay here and you're just gonna keep that so so are you tracking her on any kind of app right now like since you've kind of made this adjustment to not being so closely guarded about stuff do you know do you know i mean can you guess where it is like through do you have dexcom like through clarity or sugar Maid or yes. something like that and i don't look at it <laughs> okay Um, I think the, I mean, I look at it every once in a while just to see where she is at, Mm -hmm. but she's probably under, um, 6.5. Okay. Like I want to say on average, her blood sugar is around 120, like an average for the day. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I, I manage as we go and I try not to look. I try not to look at it so much because I try not to keep her in the two hundreds. So I know, I know that she's okay. I know that, you know, above one forties, you know, there can be long-term damage and yada, yada, but I know that on average, you know, I do have my goals. I prefer her to be under a hundred when she wakes up. Mm-hmm. I'd prefer you know, I look to make sure how stable her line was. If it was 150 all night and stable, I'm cool with it. I'm not going to like, I can't lose the sleep over it anymore. I can't hurt myself over it anymore while still being safe and acknowledging what's happening. I still try to catch the highs. Like I still, I still try to catch the lows. But I'm not so, dare I say, obsessive over it. Do you think that there'll be enough time that can pass where your growth and understanding of how to do things in general will just lead to lower stability without trying? Oh, I've done it for sure. Okay. Um, there's been days where I'm like, um, her blood sugar was around 100 all day, and I barely thought about diabetes, and it was a... Uh, Super easy. Mm -hmm. So there's totally been days like that. Um, But I think for my mental health right now and the things that I'm processing in therapy that I 
I need to stay here for a moment. Um, I need to continue to process, you know, the time in my life when she was having night terrors and how that affected me. And I have more processing that I, I have to do, but I will come back to it. Like I still, every once in a while, maybe like once a month, I come back to, okay, let's reevaluate what's been going on. Like her, her basal rate at this time probably needs to be adjusted or, you know, but I do give myself some more leeway, but she's not. And I think because I worked so hard in the beginning and got her A1C down to a at diagnosis, she was 17.6 yeah. to a 5.7 in just over a year. Wow. I think I gave myself some leeway to, can, can to I, give us grace. Can I ask a question? If, uh-huh. if I, this is hard to imagine because I'm going to make you make something up. But if whatever <laughs> happened to you personally that gave you the issues you have and the PTSD and all that stuff, if that did not happen in your life, do you think the diabetes stuff would have been less overwhelming? It probably would have been more. How so? Um, I've learned far too much about myself through processing all of my traumas and kind of what makes me tick to to know that this is this is just something if i hadn't dealt with those things and learned what i've learned it would have been harder are you saying that your trauma drove you to learn more about yourself which created a betterment that would not have existed without the trauma, you wouldn't have gone and looking for that betterment without it? Yes. Okay, so you have a better, clearer understanding of who you are and why you do what you do, but you still have the residual effect of the actual thing that happened to you. Yes. Okay. I I have an understanding of what makes me tick. I have more understanding of coping mechanisms and my communication skills have gotten so much better and it's just made me that much stronger mentally than like, I probably would, I probably would have had the same feelings that some of the other parents have just devastated and wishing for the normal and, you know, just that loss that happens. Don't get me wrong. I grieved some of those things too, mm-hmm. but going through what I've gone through gave me this fire, this determination and strength within myself that I don't think I had before. Is there a pathway that you're looking for or aware of, or is your therapist helping you? I mean, what do I want to ask you? Okay. So to boil it down to simple stuff, right? If, um, Uh if, uh, I walk outside and somebody throws a rock at my head, 
and it hits me in the head and it causes me damage. And I can do the work to come back from the damage that it's done, but I can't seem to let go of the memory of the rock being thrown at me. So every time I go outside, I have this underlying anxiety. How do we let go of remembering that the rock got thrown at me? Is that possible? Is that Are you hopeful about that? Or is that not something you're considering right now? There's so something I've personally been working on in therapy and what my therapist calls time stamping. Mm-hmm. So in, I'm, I'm no longer living in my trauma. There's a time stamp that feels like a time that happened. Whereas when you're still in that trauma, it feels like it's still happening. You still like you still feel like you're in it. Mm-hmm. So some of my trauma has been time stamped. Some of the trauma that has come from the night terrors and all of that prior to diagnosis hasn't fully been time stamped yet. So it's something that I'm working on. I think once I process some of that and get some of that time stamped, it'll definitely bring me to a place where I can be more, I don't want to say more active in her diabetes management because I'm still active. I'm the sole caretaker. I do all of that. But where I can come back to it with a more clear mind a more present mind um so processing it is definitely needed but i needed to process the other stuff first i don't have anxiety but i know enough people who do and i've spoken to so many people that have that i understand it i think enough you know but i don't have any like personal contextualization for the idea that like you always feel like I never feel anxious about anything. And so like, you know what I mean? And I know you probably heard that and you're like, well, bottle that. Cause that I would like, uh, but, you know, <laughs> and so, I, and so I can deal with, and I think many people listening to this who don't have anxiety, who I'm sure feel for you right now, but don't again, have any context for it. They don't understand. Like when something goes wrong, I fix it. And then I, I never think about it again. And I never yeah. wonder if it's going to happen again. And that's a, I'm realizing talking to you and having talked to other people in the past, what a, just a general blessing that is to not have to worry about that because otherwise you just always feel like a saber toothed tiger is going to jump on your back and rip your head off. And, and you have that, like that, that heightened sense of whatever that is inside of your body. So do you take medication for that or is it just therapy you're doing? Uh, yes, I am on daily medication, and then I have what's called emergency medication. So something like uh, propanolol or something like that. If you have an attack, I'm guessing. Like uh, you don't have to say, but like I, in that in that range, like something that like lowers your heart rate and chills you the hell out, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, it definitely brings me down a level <laughs> or gotcha. two. Um, yes, so when there's some high stress stuff. I definitely um, use that and along with my therapy coping mechanisms. Um, I I try not to take the emergency medicine 
too often I try to use all my skills and coping mechanisms first, mm-hmm. but it's there when I need it. If I said to you, if I said fill in the blanks, my spouse does or doesn't understand my anxiety. Is it something that's difficult to explain to another person, even though they're with you? Um, like, do you think the people around you really understand how you feel when this is happening or that it's happening constantly? They see it. Yeah, but they can't. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of, uh, you can see it in my face. Um, yeah. I don't think he knows what it feels like, but he knows what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And then what can he do for you in those moments? Is there anything? Um, I'm currently learning some of that. Um, helping. Like, for, <laughs> for some reason, his way of helping is, I did the dishes. And I'm like, cool, I didn't have to do it. It's one less thing that I have to worry about. Mm -hmm. And so taking some of that does help. But it's always the dishes for him. Well, you realize in a boy's head, they're like, I could have sex with you. Like, that's the only thing we really can think of. And so then from there, we're like, I guess we'll do the dishes. Like, if that's really, yeah. And I don't know. I got kind of lucky. Well, yes, those are lots of his thoughts. He's very (laughs) aware of, uh. Yeah, no, I'm not even touching that subject at the moment. <laughs> I have to tell you, there are a large group of men who are listening right now in the middle of like, you know, if you if you went down on a plane crash in a cold place and you'd look like you're going to die on the side of the mountain, the guy would be like, I don't know if sex would help, but if it would, I'd be willing to do it. <laughs> we're oh, not, we're, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, trust me. Like You'd be like, could you make a fire? And you'd be like, all right, but... <laughs> he's like hey is it like they're the kids are asleep like what's going on and i'm like her blood sugar's at 200 i'm trying to get it down leave me alone i got you so all of my ideas don't sound relaxing to you i guess i'll go do the dishes (laughs) (laughs) he's just like fine i mean they're asleep i'll play video games now it's whatever while i'm sitting there like was that enough insulin but, Do I have to catch that so what later? You, but what you're really saying is, if, if make sure I'm understanding, is that unlike a person who doesn't suffer the way you do, everything, the idea of everything that needs to be accomplished weighs on you and ups your anxiety. And so if someone can just come in and grab one of those packages and throw it off of you, it's a lessening effect for you. But is there any time when it's gone do you ever just think, oh, wow, I'm not upset or worried or concerned about anything? Does that ever happen? Yes, but that is new. And that's from the therapy? Yes. What are some of the things the therapist taught you that are helping you? Um. Please don't tell me you're going I, out and murdering like, people under bridges and stuff like that. or It's, it's something normal, <laughs> right? No. You're like, I'm um, sacrificing goats now. Um, it's uh, it's really relaxing. <laughs> no, nothing like that. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, some of it's just come with processing it. Before this, the therapist I have now, I physically could not talk about some of my traumas. Like, 
physically. Mm-hmm. They'd run in my head. I'd say, okay, I'm going to say it now in my head. And they'd get stuck in my throat. And instead I would just cry. Okay. Um, and I have found words. I found my voice with therapy. So finding my voice and words for things allowed me to continue to process instead of it just playing in my head and getting stuck in my throat. So talking has helped. Um, Being able to be vocal has helped. And then with that, I've learned I'm not living in it anymore that I can sit in the present in my body and breathe and know where I am and not feel like I'm stuck somewhere else. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you a question that I want to also tell you that you shouldn't feel any pressure to answer, but I want to keep it really general, but I just feel like you've shared so much valuable stuff here, um, but we lack the specific context. So would you say that at some point, so let me just make some guesses out loud. And if you want to say yes or no, that'd be great. Or just tell me to stop asking, but someone hurt you at some point. Is that right? Like it was, it wasn't a person. Okay. Was it a physical or uh, emotional injury? Um, both, both. Okay. Um, something you feel like you had fault in or something you know was not from your hand at all? That I had fault in. Okay. You carry a lot of guilt from it? I wouldn't say guilt. I'd say sadness. Okay. Like one of those, if I had a time machine, you know where you'd go back to and what you wouldn't do, that kind of stuff? I would probably still make the same choice. Interesting. Because at that time you wouldn't have been able to make a different choice or because it didn't look like a bad choice in the moment. Logically, my, my brain is very logical, logically, completely right decision, completely what needed to be done. So that's why, Okay, (laughs) but doesn't mean it takes away what came emotional. next. So you did the right thing for the right reason, but the outcome impacts you. Is that right? Yes. That's interesting. I almost like that. You're not going to tell me what it is. I mean, no, don't tell me. Off recording, I can tell you. Oh, but... seriously? You'll tell me, but you won't tell everybody else. Yeah. Oh, hell then we'll get off and you can totally tell me. Yeah. Screw the rest of you. <laughs> I still gave you a good podcast, and so did she, okay? You can't be mad about that. This is private. Wow. Well, I'm happy that you feel better and that your therapy is moving you to this place. Um, I'm happy that the diabetes stuff is manageable and in a good, safe spot, and that you feel like you might go back to it later and tighten it down when you have the ability to. It is super commendable that you were able to take some time for yourself and some space for yourself. A lot of people struggle to do that. Um, 
and you figured it out pretty quickly. It sounded like you were pressured into it by your circumstances to some degree, but still, a lot of people still don't bend. They just go down with the ship. You know what I mean? You were like, how about if we all stay alive and we figure this out and spread some of this horror out over over time? Not to get too morbid, but it got to a point where I couldn't continue living this way, but there was no choice but for me to continue living Mm -hmm. because of Dora. So I had to, I had to make that choice to, you know, put on my big girl pants and, uh, put work in. It had to be done. I have to say that I imagine I could be completely wrong, but I imagine that most people live in that general space that things that need to be done feel bigger than what you can accomplish that sometimes they don't feel in any way like a satisfactory lifestyle for you. You know, people think, oh, I wish I was doing this or I wish I didn't have to do that. But I do think that most people just do what they need to do. And I I wonder if, I'm sorry, I wonder how much of like more recent society gives people, especially in, in, in places like America and other, you know, you know, other countries like that, that have the, the thing, excuse me, <clears throat> concentrating on the fact that I have to clear my throat instead of talking. Um, <laughs> people that have comforts like this, you know, even, you know, you, you know, the poorest people in America live better than other people in other places in the world, right? Like if the idea that everybody can, like we raise our kids, like you can be president, which I guess is not as great as it used to be, but um, you know, you could be president, you could be the of a company, you could be rich, you could be famous, you can be an athlete. We, we, we no one ever is like, hey, you know what you could do? You could probably manage an Arby's. Um, like you know, like we don't talk like that. So expectations are super high for success, for money when you're younger, and for happiness too. Everyone gets promised happiness, and I don't know that that's exactly the way life works. I don't think we all get to run around with our like two and a half kids and a Volvo station wagon and a house that has like, you know, it's got an acre. Like, I don't think most people have, like, I don't think that's really how it works out for everybody. My husband's great. He's home by four 30 helps with dinner. You know, I wear a, 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 you know, like it's not, it's not leave it to beaver, I guess is the way I'm trying to say it. And, um, and yet people fight against it constantly and it makes them miserable. The, the expectation for perfection makes people miserable instead of just going like, this is my life. This isn't so bad. You, you know what I mean? Like I'll be happy yeah. here. Sitting, sitting in gratefulness is, is highly important. Yeah. Being grateful for all that you have. I've had this conversation with Dora where, you know, she has days where, I hate diabetes is what she says. I wish I didn't have it. Boy, do I wish you didn't have it too. But be grateful for the technology that we have. Be grateful for the type of insulin that we have. Be, you know, just to even say, yes, it sucks. I'm not saying that it doesn't. I'm not saying that it's not hard. It's for sure not fun. but 
hey, you have this really cool piece of technology that people like worked really hard on to make it so that you don't have to have a strict regimen, like eating regimen and insulin regimen, where you can pretty much say, hey, I want a piece of candy and then get the piece of candy. Yeah, there's a so, lot of a lot of perspective that comes with knowing that, you know, prior to 1920-ish, you would just be dead if you had type 1 diabetes. Like, that's, totally. that's not, that's 100 years ago. That is a very short amount of time ago. You, you, you know, like, like, you just made it. Like, think about it. If you were diagnosed today, you basically just made it in under the wire. Like, it's, yeah. yeah. You know, knowing, hearing, listening to your podcast and hearing the people that have had it for like 20 years, knowing what the technology was then. Even 10 years ago, even five years ago, yeah, what it is when she was diagnosed, mm-hmm. I could not be more thankful. Right. But being yeah. diagnosed in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, in that range. I know, couldn't. All, well, all the scary stuff that you still hear today, those stories come from that time. Because that was yeah. expectation that you hear people come on here who are like, I was told I wasn't going to live to 30. Or, um, you know, uh, people that come on and tell you, like, they were told, like, you're not going to get to have kids. You're not going to have a life. No one will marry you, someone was told. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's not that long ago in history being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. 30 30 years ago, somebody might have told you, well, you know, give up on all of your dreams and get your living in now because this isn't going to last very long. That yeah, was, that's, I mean, you know. the two things I think they said in the hospital was... She can do anything that she wants to do. She just can't join the military. And I was like, whew, that's something. <laughs> um, and then two was be a pilot. And they said, well, that's changing. Yeah. And it's changed since then. Fine. I mean, if I re- highly respect all military. But coming from military, my father was in the military. I am relieved that she can't. So for me personally, I was like, okay. <laughs> you didn't hear can, anything bad in that this. statement? Right. I understand what you're saying. And um, I just think it it's important, right? It's important. And it's not just important about diabetes. It's important about the rest of your life. I mean, listen, there's reasons things are written on coffee mugs and t-shirts. It, the reasons are, if you would just believe them, your life would get better. You know what I mean? Just be grateful for what you have is a big one. Some people have more. Some people have less. It, you know, it's not about more or less. It's about here like you just need to be able to look up and go my life's pretty good this is all right i wish i had more i wish i had that but i don't these are the things that i have the people i'm around let me make the best of this and if this is so bad then let me find a pathway out best i can i might not get as far out as i want to but let me see if i can't keep bettering my situation um yeah it, that, there's some real comfort in in living that way and Again, I have that that odd thing with diabetes where I was relieved and I have I have the gratefulness of my child is back that I get to live with every single day. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. I um I gotta wrap this up. I'm running a low on time. I apologize. But um I'm very happy for everything that's happening for you so far. I didn't get to ask you, but the podcast has generally been valuable for you. Yes, of course. Um, Learning. I go back to the, the pro series and, you know, 
all of that to go back to basics, to go, what am I doing wrong? Because sometimes in the funk of of depression and anxiety, I forget things and I go back and I go, oh yeah, I got to start there. Well, I know I've said this before and you might've heard me, but and I'm not embarrassed to say it. There are times where things get upside down here and I, I stop myself and think, if someone came to me and said this was happening to them, what would I tell them? Yeah. And I think that's my version of listening back to episodes. I go, oh, I would say to do this and this and this. Okay. Well, why the hell am I not doing that? And then I know, do that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I sometimes people say, like, what would Scott say? Like, I sit in my house and I think, what would I say? <laughs> Uh, that has to be a weird conversation in your head. I got to be honest with you. One of the creepiest things I've ever done in my life is search for something in my own website. So like, <laughs> there's like this weird feeling when you're like, oh, I don't know the answer to this. But at some point in my life, I did. And I wrote it down. I'm going to go look. And I'm on my own website searching it. That makes me feel very ridiculous when I'm doing that. Like, why can I not remember this? And then there it but is. It, it also shows how informative your podcast is because well at the very at the very least uh present day me really does agree with you know past me (laughs) (laughs) that's why i joke about jenny when people are like i I say how great jenny is but really when you listen jenny and i agree about a lot of things if not most things about managing diabetes so like do i so you take that as a compliment yeah do i like her or do i think she's smart because she agrees with me No, but I, I shouldn't cast that aspersion. I, I think Jenny's terrific. I'm just making a joke. But uh, no, it's weird sometimes to have that thought, but I'm glad it helps you and, and anybody else listening who it's valuable to. Um, I thought this was a terrific conversation. I want to thank you for it. And I'm going to hit stop so you can tell me stuff you're not going to tell other people. So hold on one second. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. I'd also like to thank the Contour Next One blood glucose meter for being a longtime sponsor of the show and remind you to go to contournext.com forward slash juice box. Are you a U.S. resident? Please take the T1D Exchange survey at t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox podcast.